The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. It failed. In the year of the Shadow War, it became something greater. Our last best hope for victory. The year is 2260. The place, Babylon 5. Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season six, Chatsalon 5. My name is Alan. And in here, Mr. Fluke, you cannot hide from yourself. Everything out there has only one purpose, to distract us from ourselves, what is truly important. There are no distractions in here. You can learn so much in silence. Hello. It, 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 uh, it feels weird when you call me Mr. Fluke. Yeah, I did, I like that. Mr. Morgan, yeah, you're Mr. It's Morgan. It's like a different, it's a different character, you know? Yeah. Mr. I definitely Fuka's another one another one where I wrote it back and forth a couple times like Mr. Magellan no but he says Mr. Garibaldi like I got and you're Garibaldi basically so I'm gonna give yeah, you your name. pretty much exactly Garibaldi I, I'll have that hair one day for sure so oh man which one season one or two or three um three where it's like he's bald except there's this like rectangle <laughs> in the middle the, there the rhombus in the center yeah 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 that's gonna be me sweet sweet well sweet. um how 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 goes it it goes fine. I'm bathed in, you know, the evening sunset. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I hope you're bathed, bud. I'm, ba- I'm bathing in water, um, in the bath, and uh, it's almost springtime. Mm-hmm. So, it's awesome. How, how, how are you doing? It has been getting better, actually. Uh, the Ooh. weather really does perk up my mood a lot. Um, I've been catching up on a lot of things. I'm, like, mostly caught up on all my podcasts and TV things now, so... Um, you know, feeling good, getting ready to like start some new projects soon, which is also exciting though. Excite. Cool. Yeah. Um, this is a show where we watch Babylon five, two episodes a week. (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. It really is. And this week we watched season three, episode seven, exogenesis and season three, episode eight messages from earth. First up, unfortunately we must discuss exogenesis. Which was written by JMS, directed <laughs> by Kevin G. Creeman. It aired February 12th, 1996, and it takes place from March 10th to March 13th of 2260. Magellan, what happened in this episode? Well, Alan, nothing. All right. And Good. the second episode we watched this week was. God. <laughs> uh, I... Classic joke. <laughs> Unforgettable gag. Who could, uh, who could ever forget it? I'll read the summary. I'll read, I'll read, I'll read the summary. Thanks. In this episode, Franklin and Marcus investigate an outbreak of parasitic aliens in the down below. Ivanovist. Uh-huh. <sighs> Don't wake up. No, oh, oh, wake up, sleepy oh, sheepy. Sorry, You're sorry. Oh, come on. Um, Ivanova is tasked with determining whether Lieutenant Corwin is suitable for the conspiracy of light. Alan, I mean. <laughs> you don't even need to ask. <laughs> did did you think during this episode? Did you have a thought pass Honestly, through your mind? When I was coming up, because we like to put just a little behind the scenes, we like to write little like bullet points of like, hey, if we run out of things to talk about, here's something interesting in the episode that will spark a conversation. And I wrote like four things, and a lot of them were like me just grasping. But yeah, there are interesting things going on in this episode. It's just that it feels so. It's like filler from minute one. It's immediately nothing. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Take my watch conditions this week with a grain of salt. Uh, It's exam week at school. I'm sitting at my desk grading, and I've got the show on while Mm -hmm. I'm doing, like, like mindless grading. Uh, So maybe the fact that I was bored of that contributed to me being bored of these episodes. But, like... This felt like very little. The A plot is what? There's something going on where it seems at first like people are being lobotomized. And then it turns out, no, it's a parasite 
And then I checked back into the episode where they were doing their like Blade Runner speech at the end. Yeah. Um, it was like exactly that. It felt word for word like what the dude, the Tears and Rain guy says in yeah. Blade Runner, where it's like, I've seen armies explode on Mars and supernovas that you can't even get it, get it get in your mind. When's the last time you saw Blade Runner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's from the the, the, the the that's the theatrical cut that I just. Quoted. Oh, you're right. You have a that's a special yeah, yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott wasn't a fan of that one. The, did, Ridley, the other... did Ridley Scott do Blade Runner? Yeah, yeah. You're good. That okay. in, in that department, you're good. <laughs> uh So yeah, the parasite being the a plot is really boring because. Uh, well, first of all, their motive. It just feels like they're leading to the answer of like. Okay, there are parasites. And it's a little bit spooky in the beginning when that guy's in the down below. But, like, how many times do we have to see a rando person in the down below be like, oh, God, I'm dying. And then someone's like, good. And then they die. And that's the cold open. Like, we get that a lot. And it's Uh, also, and it had that cheesy element of they're all, like, at dinner or something. And they go, I really hope it's a normal day today. Oh no! Something unusual is happening to me. The episode of the week is happening. The plot of the week's <laughs> happening. Yeah, I'm yeah and a they are. Of plot. They're at the fancy bar because uh, David Corwin is being promoted to full lieutenant this week. Uh, mm, my sweet lad, my Corwin. sweet awkward son. You get to sit in Warren Keffer's seat, the seat that we reserve for him because he's dead and we all like him. <laughs> the seat there for is- eternally owned men. You ever think about that? How since Keffer always had dinner with them, they must leave a seat open for him. Aw, you're right. Yeah. And now it's gonna be Corwin's seat. But Yeah. So this is this is my like first question for you. We can just talk okay, about sure. the B plot because it's not good. Uh Corin is promoted to full lieutenant and Sheridan thinks, wait a second, him having more responsibility means that it's very likely he's gonna like be in he's gonna be talking to us more. So we need to know if he's okay being led into the conspiracy of light and if he's like a cop or not basically like what's his who are where do his allegiances lie right and so he entrusts ivanova the most empathetic one i guess to well she also knows him the best they're like pals yeah they work Um, the closest with each other and so she invites him to her quarters uh david corin whatever this like i have a problem with the way babylon 5 does comedy i feel like it's so awkward to the point, it loops around and becomes funny, but it's like, I don't know how intentional that comedy is, because this guy is like not bringing anything special to the character. The, yeah, this episode especially, I think, is suffering from the fact that they the main comedic characters are characters who are not typically funny. Like, giving yeah. Garibaldi funny things to do, funny. Londo can be funny. Veer, Lanier, there are people in the cast who, if you give them funny stuff to do, they're funny. Corwin is not. We don't know anything about this guy at all. We've seen him a thousand times. We've seen him a thousand times and we know nothing. All we know about him is that he stands straight. He has great posture. And and he looks like a nice military boy. Yes. Yeah. Um, And... Like, I don't know. So he doesn't really sell. I never believed that he was like, finally, Ivanova wants to wants to kiss me. I didn't believe that he really thought that because it's it would almost be funnier if he was. I think they took it too far is what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Because it's not funny to me, given his performance, that he's like, oh, I got to get her some flowers He's not selling that part of it. I think it could have been funny if he was talking to other people in the crew and he was like, I think I think the commander wants to like have sex with me tonight. Yeah, something like that, right. That feels a little more in line with the level of his character because I don't really believe that he's into her. And maybe that's because I know that Ivanova's definitely not into him. Uh-huh. But it, I don't know. That I mean that relates to that. It's my problem with the whole Marcus relationship that they're setting up, which I we both agree is bad, objectively bad. The Marcus relationship with the Vanova, you're saying? Yes, so uh-huh. bad. 
do not want. Um, well, it's like I understand the Marcus relationship I get in terms of, you know, he doesn't believe in positions and roles and he wants to like bring levity to the crew and he understands that like end of the day we're all probably going to die. So let's try to like be friendly to each other and not put up all these walls. Like yes, he's a very open person. You're really reading a lot into Marcus, I feel like. Like you are fully fleshing out. Yes, the the yeah. the character, the actor is not doing this. Sure. Um but Corin is nothing. And so this is my question. This is sort of my like overarching question about the B plot. Uh overarching or overarching? Are both correct? You know, I've never known. I think I've read somewhere that both are correct, but I can't be sure. Let us know. Uh does Corwin not getting accepted to the Conspiracy of Light make this plot useless? And if he had been accepted, would this plot have been worthwhile? Hmm. You know, you make a good point. Like, what is going to come of this? Right. But this serves as it shows us, oh, people are going to be considered for the conspiracy and then not accepted. That can happen. It's not just every time we see someone, we're like, do you want to? Yes. Okay, you're in. It's like, no. Yeah. Do you want to? I don't know what your thing is going on. I don't, and they don't trust them. And there's clearly like, so yeah, to jump ahead, there, like we get to There is that. value in yeah. the conversation that they have when mm-hmm. Corwin goes to Ivanova's quarters is also, yeah, they, just to finish on this uh, question of like the comedic value of this plot, it really, you know, Straczynski's like putting half of his butt cheek into that part <laughs> of it because there's like, he doesn't really explore the comedic aspects of this scene very much. And he doesn't have to, but it's kind of silly that like we spend a whole scene where Corwin is haggling with the flower guy. That was such a weird scene, dude. What a oh way, my it's God. just a waste of a scene. The flower guy's like, yeah, you know, ladies really like flowers, so you gotta buy flowers for me. I'm not gonna let you walk away without you. They only, no, it's the absolute. And then within 10 seconds, Corwin has the flowers and he's like, oh, they were, they were by the door. Uh, they weren't mine. And then they're just done. He doesn't even seem that nervous. He doesn't even seem upset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At all. He's just like, all right, back to being nobody like I was before. Um, yeah. So it they lose that aspect of it pretty quickly. But the value of this plot is the conversation that Ivanova and Corwin have about loyalty where Ivanova asks, um, you know, what if you saw, or what if you received an order that you felt was, like, against the best interests of Earth? Right. And... What if the ends justified the means? Right. And Corwin essentially says, it's not my decision. Yeah. I'm here to follow orders and to do what I'm told to do by people who are thinking about these things and have the authority to choose that. Uh, and I think there's value in Ivanova encountering that point of view yeah. as, a, as a foil to herself. Um, I don't know that we get a ton out of that because I'm not learning that Ivanova is willing to bend the rules. I've seen that better expressed in other moments. I think that was best expressed when she like almost murdered Bester. Yeah, exactly. I was about um, to bring that up. Yes. So does this plot really deepen Ivanova that much? Not really. It kind of hits a note that we've seen hit elsewhere. And then there's Corwin. Uh, uh, yeah, we learn that he follows the <laughs> rules. <laughs> so I don't it's, know. Yeah, I think in terms of what it says about Ivanova, yeah, it's confirming that, uh, hey, not everybody has a grudge or has any reason to be, uh, like, against Earth and Psycor and everything. She has a ton of stake in the game. It's not even a That's question true. for her of, like, do I rebel? Because, like, of course you do. Whereas there are people who are just like, yeah, my life is fine here. I have a right. job. I have no reason to suspect that Earth government is bad at all. I follow the higher-ups, you know? He's a mensch in that way. And it's not a bad thing. It's not portrayed as, like, well, he's a fool. It actually seems like Ivanova's disappointed because she's like, oh, you are not... We are not in the same headspace. And I think, that, yeah, like you said, that's worthwhile is, the, is her realizing that, like, even somebody this close to her is not on the same page. You know, it's also fun to parallel that to, like, Garibaldi and Zach Allen who are, like, 
slowly approaching what I'm seeing as like the same conclusion. Yeah, but that's a Garibaldi Zach Allen is a much more interesting version of this. Yes. Because because Zach Allen is a character into whom like into whose interiority we've been able to see. Whereas Corwin, we don't know anything about him. We haven't spent any time with him. Right. So he's just like uh, kind of a wall that Ivanova's bouncing her ideas off of. Um, yeah. So it's just one of those plots that like in bullet points summarizing it, we can talk about why it has value. But when it comes to being like an entertaining scene, it you don't need it. You can totally cut it and you don't yeah. really lose much of anything. And uh, that brings us also, I guess, to the A plot, I guess you could call it, of this episode where, speaking of, like, does this have any value in the broad scale? Objectively not. Does it have something to say maybe about something? I don't know. Clearly this had an idea in it, like a interesting commentary in the writer's room that was, like, pulled out when they were like, oh, we have to make this into a plot. Uh This has to be like an episode where things happen. And so we spend half the time being like, guys, you got to check out these parasites. And I think the closest they come to doing anything with the A plot is when Marcus um, is asking around and realizes that some of the people that work for him in the down below are, are becoming sort of like zombies. They're just not helping mm-hmm. him anymore. They, they don't go by their own names anymore. They're like clearly possessed in some way. And he asks Garibaldi, you know, can you like provide some support or backup or investigation down below? Garibaldi says, like, you know, we have bigger things going on. I have Army of Light things and uh, a million other jobs to do. Down below doesn't matter. They're going to fight each other. They're always crazy. We don't care about them. So in that moment, you know, Marcus Cole being like, oh, of course, that's how you work. You're, you were never going to help until people are dead. So he just circumnavigates that and goes to Dr. Franklin instead and lies around uh, putting himself in danger and putting Dr. Franklin in danger. Okay. Like, I think they're getting somewhere to be like, yeah, the higher ups on Babylon 5 don't give a crap about poor people it's easier for them to not care about the down below Mm -hmm. but then yeah the reveal just being like okay so franklin and and marcus go down below and they talk to the people and they don't bring out bring guns they just have a conversation they're in prison marcus becomes a dumb action hero and like tricks the guy being like it's a scanner pointed at your face and then hits the guy with his staff and like whatever finally the only all of this mystery building, what is the parasite, why is it taking over people, is answered directly to camera, basically, by these guys possessing one of uh, Marcus's best friends, Duncan, <laughs> and they they don't neglect to make the Macbeth reference. No, Ham- Macbeth, 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 yes. Uh, and are like, hey, uh, what's your deal, uh, parasites? And they're like, oh, well, we um, have existed forever, and... Every time we jump between people, we can start a new life, and we've chronicled and seen the entirety of uh, living history. Isn't that cool? Marcus is like, I guess. Like, so? Like, I don't believe you. <laughs> right, right, right. That's the entire result of the plot is the word so. So? Yeah. Like, all right. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you exist, or I'm not. Thank you, because they're not helping anyone. They just say like we have seen everything. Like you said, you know, tears of tears and rain. We've seen the fires over the skies of Orion. All this stuff. Great guys, I don't believe you. Get out of this guy and let him talk. He gets out of the guy, and Duncan's like, "Yeah, that's legit." And he's like, "Okay, great, it's legit. Bye." And like, what? What was that? That's the whole episode. <laughs> that. What are you doing, Babylon Five? Who's 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 like wielding this plot line and sees on paper like parasites that can see the entirety of the world and the people that they possess consent to it because they feel like they have nothing left to live for, and so they're contributing to something greater. Like I guess that's interesting. I guess, but that's all it is is just an interesting concept. Yeah, and you can, then, you can read that sentence to someone and they can be like, "Yeah, wow, neat. All right." Yeah, that's a. You know, that could be a short story. That could be something in a different show that's like an anthology show. It just mm-hmm. doesn't really make sense to be here because we're not tying it to anything larger than itself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't tie back into anything cool. 
Um, they get away. Security doesn't know about any of this until the end when they get rescued by security. And it's like, wow, Can great. We... And then. Oh, go ahead. No, just you were talking about the flowers earlier and the dumb, dumb conclusion to the flowers is uh, Corin gets rid of the flowers. Yeah, Ar- 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 realizes who the flowers are. She thinks they're from Marcus, throws them back at him. Because, and he's like, wow, thanks. because Franklin is like, you know what, guys? Marcus Cole is pretty cool. Also, Ivanova, I think he likes you. So, you know. Right, because right before the, it seems like they're about to die, he's like, any final words, Marcus? And Marcus is like, do you think Ivanova wants to go out on a date? And he's like, we're going to die, dude. What are you saying? Yeah, yuck. He's like, yeah, yuck, I know, yuck. but like, if I asked her out, what do you think she would say? And <laughs> uh, Franklin, correctly reading the room, is like, she, no one could be less attracted to you than like the <laughs> coolest space lesbian on the show. Like, what are you doing? But <laughs> Yeah. What are you... What are where are we at on Marcus Cole? Can we just do a quick uh, temperature check on this guy? Uh, he's hot. Ooh, yeah. Do you think he's hot? I think again. I just like enjoy what he in theory brings to the show, but I haven't like. I'm still not sold on him. What is it that he brings to the show that you think is good? Because uh, we were he... we were talking before we started recording about this that uh, it's still kind of unclear to me what he's meant to do. When uh-huh. it comes to the larger story, like Warren Keffer, we <laughs> understood what Warren Keffer was supposed to do. We just thought it was unnecessary, and so did so did JMS, which is why mm-hmm. he killed killed him. <laughs> yep. But with Marcus Cole, it's like I don't really get what this guy's supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a good answer yet because we don't know what the Rangers are meant to do in the greater scale of the the like war against the shadows we know that that's where he stands and he's a little bit of a foil to ivanova unfortunately the thing is i just i don't like that like if that's the answer is he's a foil to ivanova then it's like well then he sucks and easy found it um i think his like performance is good though jason carter brings an energy that honestly a lot of the cat it it makes the rest of the cast feel low energy actually because like the scene that starts um, the second episode, the shut up and eat it, S-U-A-A-E-I joke, feels like something that Marcus Cole would never participate in because he'd be like, guys, be, just be nice. Like, why are we doing this, like, dull, like, Frasier-esque boring joke about, like, enjoy the breakfast, you, you stupid military man? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he feels like that. I get that energy, like, radiating from him. Maybe it's from his mustache, but uh, hmm. it's not in the... It's not on paper. So it's yeah. kind of hard to answer, like... I feel like in my head he serves an important role, but I have no proof. My thing with him right now is it just feels like every time he shares a scene with a main cast member, all of his dialogue is yelling at them about how they are like hypocritical or flawed. Uh-huh. And like that you're bringing something, but that's not a character. That's just an asshole. <laughs> He's like yelling at Garibaldi about, you know, you don't care about the down below people. He's yelling at Ivanova about like you're too uptight. He's yelling at Franklin about like you care too much. And so right. where where are you, Marcus Cole? Because you think that Garibaldi cares too little and Franklin cares too much. Uh, and Ivanova's too uptight, but I bet somebody else you would call a loose cannon. So, like, what do you believe? <laughs> yeah. Is he the centrist of Babylon 5? Because that sucks. Mm. <laughs> Hardcore. Mm. Just the um, angry centrist, yeah. Exactly. That's my... Please follow my YouTube channel, at the angry centrist. Oh, um, my God. No. No. <laughs> I will not. Yeah, there's a moment in the second episode where he shows Ivanova this, like, cork board or whatever. I think it's in the second one. Being like, here's where I fit. And it's this, like... He's like, I based it on uh, the Ottoman Empire and whatever... And it's like, here's where I fit in the chain of command. And it doesn't make, it's just a gag that they cut away from to show the whole, like, a really serious ending of the episode. So, like, is he comic relief? Because we don't need that. This is a show that can have comedy without comic relief. There's a difference. Um, And I, the other thing is, I just feel like the show isn't anywhere near done with playing with him. Like, he's just, he's in it for the long run. He's in the show. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we can just withhold judgment for now and say, like, I don't like him yet. Maybe we'll get to liking him. I don't know. Not yet, though. His staff is cool. 
Um, but that's pretty much what we have uh, for this first episode. Did you have any other notes or things you want to talk about? No. Jettison it out the airlock. Space it. Plank. Space it. Pl- plank? Plank. Why did I hear somebody make a plank stuck in your Oh, this was like on something else. I, I was thinking about the line, the plank stuck in your eye from the Bible. And I thought mm, that Marcus Cole made a joke from the Bible. Great line. It is, it, is an, it is actually a really good. Also, I don't love that he's like quoting Shakespeare. Yeah, make your, why does your British guy have to be the Shakespeare guy? That's silly. I just think when people are referencing Shakespeare in space, it's like, that's silly. Oh, you would hate some episodes of Star Trek. You would I know. I was, about, I was about to say, I know that that stuff happens in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's silly. Like, can't yeah. we make up? I love, like, Jaquan, you know? That's what I yeah. want. Let's make up parallels to these ideas. Let's not be like, you know, uh, Harry Truman. Or like when Sheridan came on, he's like, Abraham Lincoln once said. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole thing. Come on. It's sci-fi. Come on. It's Seinfeld. Come on. It's Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, If they reference Seinfeld, that would be something else. God. God. No, it's so contemporary. That'd be the corniest thing in the world. It's airing. (laughs) But imagine... Okay, a new sci-fi show. Right now, reference to Seinfeld? The only real reference it makes is to Seinfeld. One time. Shucks, dude. (laughs) It doesn't... No, like, literature. No historical figures. No nothing. The only reference it makes to human history as we know it thus far is to Seinfeld. This this episode's 1996, so... You know, and they're a, in like and a, an alien does it. An alien does it the way that like Londo was obsessed with uh like Pop Goes the Weasel or whatever song he liked. I think it what was it? I think it was Pop Goes the Weasel. Yeah. No, 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 no it was it was, it was uh, the hokey pokey. The hokey um, pokey. Right. I just remember him doing the foot thing. Yeah. I, I mean I'd love it. I think it would be really funny. Mr. Gennaboli, I've seen your Seinfeld. Oh yeah, what did you think you're of it? Be, you're being a real Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> shit londo shit londo <laughs> londo uh damn damn damn, damn. <laughs> oh sinclair from millions of miles away on min bars like, damn. <laughs> damn god damn oh, i miss him I, I kiss him all right let's uh let's read can i actually read the email this week magellan yeah please please yeah yeah but that means right. you get to talk more. You get to talk more. I know you love talking. I like reading more. Than okay, talking. fine. You can read the email. I don't know. You asked to read it, and I and I answer. And if you fall, I will answer. What's the bare naked lady song? I don't know. Call, Call and answer. It. Yeah, that one. And if you fall, yep. I'll pick you up. I'll pick you and up. if you court this disaster. I'll point you. Okay, so this is an email I'll from our friend Dan. You. It's a meaty one this week. Um, this one is about Voices of Authority and Dust to Dust from last week. He says, I think Magellan answered his own question when he pondered why it had to be Ivanova instead of Draw looking for the first ones in The Great Machine. The show also needed someone who could find the message between then VP Clark and Morden. The show also has to perform a very delicate dance because on one hand... They're parked over a giant deus ex machina, but on the other hand, they can't constantly use it, especially now that Drawl is on their side. Sure. Yeah, that's the metatextual answer, but I I think I wanted an in... What's the opposite of meta? In the textual? A textual answer, yeah. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted a textual answer. And I For sure. I, I agree. It's still, it still yeah. felt like... And he's even kind of saying this, being like somebody had to do it. Like, you need... Yeah, somebody yeah. else to do it because if he draw does it then it's like well now we just have a guy who gives us answers yeah i'm willing to suspend my disbelief about yeah. it i just yeah you know me i'm the i'm the uh translator microbes guy so uh, oh god throwbacks throwbacks what i liked about julie Masanti was that she was a bit of a chameleon when she was speaking with the nightwatch people her her tongue stuck out and she changed colors <laughs> nice. <laughs> not what he wrote <laughs> Uh, when she was speaking with Nightwatch, she spoke as a true believer and really worked to foster their patriotism by sprinkling it with paranoia. 
Uh, but when she spoke alone with Sheridan, it very much seemed like she was a self-aware pragmatist doing her job, whatever it took. And it was that version of her that made me uneasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that difference between like what you show to people and what is your truth. And in this case, her private self is the one lying and making up things but her public self is like no i i mean i believe this well the fact that you just don't know what which right. one is real is right scary, that's yeah. that's spooky for sure yeah um <laughs> i like this i don't think this show knows what secret means when you have secret meetings i'm pretty sure it's right there in the handbook that you don't make an obvious secret meeting code that you say on public comms you just say hey garibaldi do you have a minute and when he says, I'm busy, you say, it's important. You don't say things like code 7R. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I didn't think about how stupid that was. Yeah, no. Special codes. Someone's going to look that up. Someone has a book with the codes and be like, hey, uh, yeah. Because to connect this back to Freaks and Geeks, which takes place in the same universe as Babylon 5. Uh, yep. when Lindsay, <laughs> yep, it, yes, it does. <laughs> when Lindsay and Daniel. It's right uh, there in the text. It's It's textual. Yeah. When Lindsay and Daniel stole the codes, this is the codes that they were talking about. <laughs> Just a deep, deep cut throwback to our Freaks and Geeks a podcast. A deep cut season. to our own fan fiction of yep. Freaks and Geeks. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not even like, if you watch Freaks and Geeks, you'll get this. It's like, no, you won't. <laughs> you will not. Um, somebody out there is like, hey, thanks. <laughs> it, uh, and it's me. It really is a big deal that they're now just phoning up first ones to chat. Uh, consider that the Zog are the walkers of Sigma 957 from back in Season 1, episode Mind War. Uh, back then, they nearly killed Catherine Sakai by basically ignoring her, as we might ignore an ant. And now, Ivanova's getting snippy with them. Yeah, I literally picked up on that like minutes after we hit stop on the recording. I was like, oh shit, Sigma 95, yep, that's that. I couldn't pick, on, pick up on it because I didn't remember it. So. Yeah, that's for people watching this, that was like three years ago. For us, that was like uh, if basically three years ago. Um <laughs> I mean, with this administration, come on. Wow, wow, dude. Uh, He says he enjoyed that Bester and Garibaldi interrogation scene for many reasons that Magellan did. Not only did Garibaldi get called out for how he does his job, but he got called out from one of the last places he'd want to hear it from. I think we got this version of Bester because that character needed a win. He wouldn't be a good long-term foil if he was the guy that showed up and walked away a loser every time. Mm. Bester's needling of Garibaldi was interesting. Especially right at the top when Bester implied to him that Talia had been dissected and studied. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that. Yucky. Yeah. I wrote that in my lines because it's like cut off. Like he says like dissect. And it's like, what? What? Like, no. Yeah. I think Bester. Actually, he can, he he goes on to say what I'm going to say. Something about the character Bester that has always made me itch is that he's named after the classic sci-fi author Alfred Bester. A lot of those old school sci-fi writers love him and his work, but one thing that always ate at me was that one of Bester's most famous works is a book called The Star is My Destination. Uh, in it, the main character, ostensibly the hero, Ooh. rapes a woman to subdue her and make her compliant. Ooh. I'm guessing this is one of those things where that seemed okay in, when it was written in 1957 and it hasn't held up well, but it's always a thing that pops into my head when Bester shows up on B5. Yeah, that's intentional. Yikes. But yeah, I... I've pro- I think I've heard like the I- I've heard the word like the star is my destination before. I've definitely heard of that. Hmm. Um, they like made a movie out of that a couple years ago too. It's pretty fucked. Uh, but anyways, uh, he, it's he sort concludes- of like when it's sort of like when you're reading Lovecraft and like one of the characters' cats is like named the N word. The N word. Wasn't like, his Whoa. cat in real life also named the N word? Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Also, I mean, you know, they're. I'm not saying they're exactly equivalent, but they're just a lot of things like that in older pulpy books that are gross. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. The difference, though, is that I think people take the Lovecraft, as- Lovecraft aesthetic and try to detach it from how racist he was. But, yeah. like, this is like, no, we know that guy wrote a nasty book, and so he's a nasty guy in the show. It's not like he's a good guy. We named it after him. That's like a cute right. thing. Yeah, that's true. But, like, that's Cthulhu memes gross me out because I'm like. No, he was so terrible. Um, basically, he concludes with the thing that we actually got tweets about as well, which is, I look forward to next week. Messages from Earth is the first episode in the unofficial Severed Dreams trilogy. Whoa, it's just... Cool name. I'll say no more about that, he concludes. Which is terrifying. Oh, okay. So, yeah, definitely felt like the beginning of a trilogy. Um, let's take a brief musical break, and we'll be right back to discuss Messages from Earth.
Welcome back to Chatsal on 5. The second episode we watched this week was Season 3, Episode 8, Messages from Earth. It was written by, what does the J stand for again? Joseph. John? Joseph. It was written by Joseph M.S., directed by Michael Vehar. It aired February 19th, 1996, and it takes place on... And it takes place from March 18th to April 8th of 2260. Hey, we're kind of in that range right now. Huh? Yeah, it's getting close to us. This, this happening. Alan, what happened in Messages from Earth? Well, Magellan, I'm so glad you asked because I wrote it down here. It says, in this episode... A startling revelation leads Sheridan and Delenn on a dangerous mission into Earth Alliance space. The Nightwatch oh. also expands its influence over Babylon 5. So, Majan, this episode yes, was... Sir. Yes, sir. This episode was sold to us as, like, the beginning of a big thing. Uh, we got emails and comments being like, It's part of a trilogy! Don't fucking spoil it, you stupid idiots! You always spoil everything! <laughs> Apparently our <laughs> listeners are Warren Keffer. And uh, yeah, so oh. Oh, I like it. Gonna I, him, I like. You're gonna let him talk to you like that, listeners. I love all of you as my my own it. children. My it do be kids your own people, you though. But anyways, kids. Okay. No, what were you gonna say? No, I'm just saying kids sometimes say to me like, "Oh, you're gonna let him talk to you." Yeah, let him talk to you like that. Yeah, so <laughs> joke police is like, get the heck out of here. I love. The yeah. NYPD is a special character. The Sink was a character on one of the previous chat shows, and now the NYPD is coming in. Yeah. Since we talk about police They're brutality doing... so much. They're doing a great job at running the siren. <laughs> <laughs> and not They're solving really, crimes. Um, so crushing that. I, I will say some stuff did happen in this episode, and I did like a lot of it. Uh, okay. I think... Bold. Bold opinion. Huge if true. Huge if true. Yeah. Uh, I think Sheridan and Delenn's adventures on Ganymede was like pretty exciting and had a good conclusion with like hints of some lore stuff that I'm really interested in. Uh, but I'm tentatively intrigued. Yeah. Right, and the same thing with the Night Watch. Uh, kind of like really feeling out those tentacles on B five and 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 using the the captain's absence as an excuse to just go all out i you know here's what i'll say about people hyping this episode up is i would not have upon watching this episode expected to jeez what is this what the fuck is this siren (laughs) so the thing about people selling this episode to us as the beginning of uh of a three-parter that's basically how it's been said watch out you're going to spoil the three-parter, is upon watching this episode at the end of it, I did not anticipate, and I wouldn't have anticipated that the next episode would be an immediate follow-up to this one. Because it feels like, it still feels planting the seeds mm-hmm. you know? We know that the Night Watch stuff is going to lead to Zach Allen making a big choice, perhaps turning in Garibaldi, Perhaps getting in trouble with the Night Watch and being, I don't know, imprisoned or something. Oh. Who knows? But that's going to go somewhere. Something's going to happen to him. Uh, we know that Jakar is going to continue to exist. <laughs> and we know that Earth is, has declared martial law by the end of the episode. Yeah. Which is a big deal. But that, I don't know. That doesn't to me necessarily demand that the next episode follows up on that but it also is like makes sense that it does uh i don't know what my point is no it didn't it definitely it doesn't it didn't feel as action-packed as or as we had been led to believe but i think as the i think it just didn't feel like i needed to immediately see what happens next yes it's like it is actually pretty self-contained yeah that's what i'm saying yeah in the way that this season so far is it's several episodes that make big moves in the larger plot yeah. without directly necessarily building on the previous one. Like, when Londo started the Narn Centauri War, you're like, oh, we immediately need to see what happens next. Like, the next thing that happened, and then the next episode was, like, filler. <laughs> it's like, okay, screw us. Um, right, so Babylon 5 has trained us to be like, okay, you're going to set up stuff going on in the background 
and you're going to keep referring to those things, but otherwise you're not going to tell. Like it's not, uh, you know. I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but I'm assuming that Game of Thrones is like build, build, next thing. Like, are there filler episodes in Game of Thrones? No. Right. Game of Thrones is definitely in the camp of like we're building, we're showing you, we're teasing out the thing you want, and then ending the season. Like, here's the thing you want. That's like the quintessential event television is teasing and then releasing. Right, and I think we've grown comfortable with Babylon Five being a show that's moving towards that in the sense that it's always aware of what its continuity is, but it's still okay with not every episode being consequential, as opposed to a show like Farscape. Where like there was some chaff. Oh yeah. In in Farscape, and so in Farscape, it like you would go through, you know, five episodes of chaff, and then get like a fat three parter. And you're like, okay, this is the one I want. Like plot. This is the plot. Exactly. Of the show, and it wouldn't necessarily be addressed in other places. Also, while we're talking about it, uh, happy twentieth birthday to Farscape season one. Yeah. Yay, 1999 Love was a good year for TV. Um, so let's Can you believe that we that it was ten years ago that we did our first game? For sure, first aired March nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. So yesterday, wow, we did it. Anyways, um, so what happens in uh, Messages from Earth? We got a couple plots going on. We like we said we start with uh, Jakar in jail. Uh, well, actually, we start start mm-hmm. with the aforementioned S U A E I bit that we were talking about in the first half where. Um, Garibaldi mentions that, hey, we eat the same breakfast here every day and I'm sick of it. And everyone else was like, yeah, I get tired of it. S-U-A-E-I. Shut up and eat it. Meh. And it's like, well, this, what was this? And then Ivanova gets an egg from Marcus. That's how you truly show someone that you love them is you send them a fucking egg. Can we just talk? Can we just, I don't want to talk about Ivanova and Marcus anymore this episode. So I just want to say the thing that happens here. Yeah. Which is like they try to... Mm. They try to give us this cutesy thing where she's like, what's your deal? Why are you useful? And then at the end, he's like, I made you a Yeah, the a diagram co- based on the Ottoman collage. Empire. I made you like a, a show and tell project about how our organization is structured. And like, here, here are my parents, by the way. Pretty nice looking. You want to meet them one day, huh? Mm-hmm. You want to date me? You want to be married forever? I don't need it. I don't need them to be cutesy. I hate it. It doesn't give me anything. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Marcus being like comic, like silly and like a little bit lighter than the rest of the cast is fine. But Marcus being like dopey for Ivanova is like so worthless. So not, not fine. Not loving it. Don't do this to us. Why does the only now like now that Talia is not around anymore and Delenn has like other goals? It's like well we have the one of the women has to have a romance like we have to that's the rule. It's like, why? Well, Delenn uh, also with, with Sheridan, you're right. Yeah, oh, she don't. fucking holds his hand. Ah! Oh, yeah, come right. on, come on, bro. This <laughs> so we do actually bring a new woman onto Babylon Five for this one episode. Uh, Marcus starts out by rescuing. He's doing like a dumb '80s beat him up thing where he like uses his staff to jump off of walls and beat up some toughs. And he rescues this lady named Mary Kirkish. Uh, Garibaldi is the one who ordered him to go on this mission because she witnessed something that he saw seven years ago uh, when he was working on Syria Planum. Uh, she mentions that she was part of IPX, which if you um, remember in season one... It's a really intense uh, workout regime. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say it's that classic Toonami mech racing show, IGPX. Uh no, IPX Interplanetary, Expedition, Interplanetary Expeditions was the company that the archaeologist worked for in season one episode Infection. Right? Do I remember that? I don't know, but I do. Uh, it was there that they dug up a whole ass shadow vessel. It took them like months to dig, dig it completely up because it was giganto and really scary. And she's having nightmares about it. So they dig it all up. And then somebody touches it and dies instantly. She says it's as if the life was whisked away from him, uh, oh. which is messed up. Uh, <laughs> Send me a boy. <laughs> uh, he didn't almost make it to Christmas. The government shut down the dig. <laughs> it's so easy. I can just poke Magellan's comedic like bones and go right for the center. <laughs> we almost made it to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that references. A hit, uh, yeah, a lyric in bound two. Yeah, 
Bam. <laughs> Even that Even one bam. is funny. Uh, the Earth government is like, we got to get this out of here. We're canceling the whole dig. They take the Earth, the vessel and take the, the shadow vessel and bring it to Ganymede, which is another moon on Mars uh, of Mars. Um, and Garibaldi has the one piece remaining from the dig, which is, of course, the most obvious. Like, yes, we are correct. It's a Psychor emblem. Did you know they're working with the shadows? It, this doesn't feel like reveals to me, honestly. It, yeah, so could you parse this for me? Because <laughs> I just wasn't tracking it very closely. Sure. So ba- so they so they find a shadow vessel on this dig. Yeah. And then they're like going to dissect it to try to figure out what it is. Well, right. they are trying to figure out what it is. They're scared of it, though. Earth government says, you guys don't worry about this. We're taking it out of here. They bring it to Ganymede, and then eventually their plan is uh, to bring so- it to Earth where they're going to dissect it and find its technology and use shadow tech to defeat other aliens. So then what's the implication with the Psycorp exactly? Uh, Psycorp is probably working with the shadows and related to the shadows because there's also Psycorp in, in, Psycorp's in the government. Okay. It's like one, they're basically adding one block on top of the conspiracy that we already know, which is like there are three evil factions. There's Earth, Force, Earth Core, whatever. There's Psycorp and there's the shadows. And at first we thought that A and B were connected, and now we know that A, B, and C are all connected. That's what we learned from this episode, is they were all working, or they are trying to all. We also know this from last time when the president was talking to Morden. Like, we already have figured, like, yes, they're all working together. Right, yeah. The important thing from this episode, and the reason why it's a part one, is they know where that, that thing is. They're like, it's on Ganymede. We have the White Star. We can just destroy it before it gets to Earth, before they use it to do horrible imperialist things. This is easy. We just have to go to Ganymede. Um, So Sheridan takes Delenn onto the White Star. It seems like part of it is also that they don't want Earth to know about the shadows. Right. But they figured that... uh, because they were like, do people on Earth know about the shadows? And the woman is like, yeah, they or like the government totally knows. It's not that they're hiding it from you people. It's that they're looking for other people who know. So they're looking for you guys, basically. Hmm. So there's now like a target painted on the back of the Army of Light, like from Earth, not just from the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just all like tension building. And then uh, Sheridan takes the land and also Lanier and, ab- and he takes the White Star and they go to... Uh, Ganymede. It's like a multiple day trip, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of the episode is spent kind of planning what, like, what's their contingency? Like, if they die, because he kind of admits it's a suicide mission, because Sheridan loves suicide missions. Uh, uh-huh. What do they tell people on Babylon 5? Like, why is the captain gone for several days? And that doesn't go well for them, because the Nightwatch is remotely competent. Um, and they get there after a couple days. He, like, sleeps. There's cute romance moments, supposedly cute romance moments with him and Delenn, where he, he's sleeping in the... Come di- on. <laughs> Her holding Come his hand... On. No, no, no. The rain thing is cute. I agree the rain thing is good. Where he's like, the only way I was able to fall asleep as a kid when I had a lot of anxiety about becoming a pilot was my dad would, like, take me out and he would spray, like, the hose from the roof onto us so it sounded like it was raining. And he said he would That's stay That's nice. And then she makes the ship do yeah, it. Yeah, that nice. is really nice. But her being, and then holding his hand felt like the extra step I didn't need. Yeah, I guess so. It is cute, but though. They ha- but they have to kiss at some point. They so. do. You're not wrong. So we have to build to it. Yeah. And he's, I just love that they're sleeping in diagonal beds because Delenn is like, uh, we believe that horizontal sleep is, is uh, what is it, like, <laughs> tempting death. And he's like... Uh, mm-hmm. sleeping diagonally is tempting death because I might fall and she's like I'll hold you <laughs> I'll catch you mm-hmm. um, agreeing to watch him sleep which is kind of a strange line um, so they get some sleep and then when they arrive this is where it, this actually got interesting to me um, they see the shadow ship it finds them and then it does this thing that I actually was like legitimately surprised by this is one of those like I'm glad this wasn't ruined for me the shadow ship takes a human who's on Ganymede and like schlorps mm-hmm. it up basically uh absorbs right. it that's like the fuel or whatever yeah it's like the lens says like oh it needs a pilot and if it's a good pilot then it'll be controlling it and it'll work together and it'll be like an, a competent ship but it just picked up like rando jones and now it's going completely berserk and it's just killing everybody it's like blowing up Ganymede. yeah whatever whatever happened to rando jones
this brought into question to me what does delenn know that she's <laughs> not telling john <laughs> yeah wow what is she not telling john if she just knew this then like what else do you know like dylan just at some point sit john down and be like hey bud here's everything i know about the shadows i don't want to reveal these last minute things like the fact that they require human sacrifice to be to work or not human, but like living sacrifice. Because you know what that means, Magellan, in like long scale, pl long term plot. Somebody on the what main, does that mean, Alan? somebody in the main cast is going to be slurped up by a oh, shadow. Oh, buddy, yeah, yes. Wow, didn't think of that so much. It's going to be Zach Allen. No, stop. Don't ever, don't ever talk about my son like that. No, he's not my son. My, uh, David Corwin is because he's a mess. Zach's my like weird cousin. Uh, I call him Zach because we're on good terms. Yeah, it's a big deal, though, because it's like, so then we know now that the shadows can't work without fuel, like without people fuel, so maybe that's going to be something to help them in the future, or yeah, more likely someone's just going to die being like, I volunteer as tribute and try to control the shadow ship. Maybe I'm thinking too anime scale, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but anyways, he instead of fighting it, he tries to fight it, and then the bullets all miss, and then he's like, all right, well, let's just evade it. So they go on to uh, Venus, I think it is. Uh, Jupiter. Jupiter, 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 and then they like get sh they like zoom into the middle of Jupiter, and they do this the is a cool sequence. Yeah, the linear is like it's gonna blow up, and he's like, "Keep going, blah, 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 blah. we'll teleport eventually." Um, they eventually get away, and they use a new form of teleportation or whatever to get out. He calls it the first atmospheric jump ever, which I don't know what that means. They jumped out of atmosphere. They did a cool teleport. It's to sick. Get, that's to get away from the Agamemnon. Right. As they're getting away from the shadow ship, it blows up, and then immediately they're being shot at by the Agamemnon, and he's like, oh my yeah, god. so it's kind of, it's a double whammy of cool ways to get out of a bad situation. Because Sheridan's idea um, to get away from the shadow ship is to swerve so that it gets sucked into the gravity when they don't. Yeah. Which is a neat idea. In that sequence, uh, I think it's cut in a way that adds to the intensity of it, and the shakiness didn't look fake right. <laughs> the way that that can look sometimes. Um, so I I felt the tension there. Mm -hmm. Then the Agamemnon shows up and is attacking them, and uh, it's Delenn's idea to yeah jump, uh, set a jump point. And it's like, well, that's going to blow up Jupiter's atmosphere. They don't really explain why it doesn't. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's what that, but that's what they mean by an atmospheric yeah. jump. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, when they're getting shot at by the shadow ship, they're like, wait, what is that? A new weapon? And they're like, no, he blew up the hydrogen in the white star. He's like, it's like incinerating. No, in us. the, in the, ab in the atmosphere. In the, or, yeah. The, the hydrogen in the atmosphere. That's crazy. It's like purple lightning out there. Um, yeah. so I think that all the other, like a, Delenn mentioning the whole shadow human fuel thing is interesting, but B, Sheridan's like hesitance to fire on the Agamemnon is a problem. Right? Like it's an issue. Um, that Yes, yes. Because... That it's certainly something that is going to have to be addressed. Right. Because he, it's like you are, you've clearly established yourself like, okay, I'm not, I'm against Earth government. I'm against anybody that works for Earth government, but Earth military is where I used to work. And I still don't want to shoot on my own friends, even though they are still working for Earth. This is a problem mm -hmm. that Sheridan is definitely going to have to deal with. But for now, we're safe and we get out. And of course, the reports on TV say that they attacked Ganymede and they're terrorists and they're horrible people and, you know, all that stuff. Right. It, it seems like there are two concerns with Sheridan being totally bought into this cause right now. Mm -hmm. One is that you might maybe earth is going to be bad and you might have to fight them. Yep. And also he gets angry that they're being presented as the bad guys on the news. Right. And it's like, maybe people are going to think that you're the bad guys for a bit. Yeah. I was just telling someone and, that recently, if you're doing something right, somebody's calling you bad. That's like, uh, yeah, you know, that's somebody or somebody is like vying for you. And then I know that's not related to necessarily, but it's like, yeah, if people are giving you shit and saying that you're a bad guy, then you're probably you're doing something. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something for him to think about. Also, got a lot of like food for Sheridan to to chew on mentally, mental food. Yeah. Mental food, mental floss. There it is. Uh, after after the mental food. It's, yeah, it comes on after the mental floss TV show. Comes on after the mentalist. 
Uh, I just repeated your joke. Mm, also, before the end of the episode, they tune into ISN, and like we said, President Clark has declared martial law on the entirety of Earth. Ruh-roh. That's bad. Yeah. Martial law is the thing where the military controls the government. Yes. Which is fucked because they can do things like not make people come to court. You can just jail somebody without without trial. You can also uh, supersede the leadership of the president. You can also uh, f- enforce things like curfews on the population and not let people live their lives anymore. And you can also... Uh, I was reading a lot of... I was reading like the entire... Like history of martial law on the Wikipedia page, um, you can like you can like change taxes however you want. Like it's completely free reign to the military in ways that even the government does not have. The catch is like it can only last sixty days unless there's extenuating circumstances, but it very rarely in history ever has. So it's like you have finite amount of time, um, and it's supposed to work. Like there was like a I can't remember what country it was in, but like uh, two years ago, uh, a country declared martial law like this is not like an old thing in history this is a thing that still happens all the time uh meant to stop like dissidents and outside invaders like it's supposed to be like protecting us and ours kind of thing but it almost always historically has been like oh you like demonstrably made our country worse with martial law right it's a it's a power grab based on stoking fear from a particular event or whatever exactly um there's tons of like historical examples. I mean, World War II, which is a thing that they they keep calling calling back to, with Babylon Five, like with Germany, um, for a mm-hmm. while was like under martial law. Uh, I constantly am in fear that something like this might happen in the U.S. someday. You never know where things mm-hmm. are going. It's very scary and it's very real uh, to just hear them say that. And then the lady at the end is like, "I repeat, Earth is now under martial law," and you're like, "Fuck, that's the whole planet." <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And. You know, you're at first. I'm like, how is that going to affect B five if they're not on Earth? But it's like, yeah, uh, Earth government made Babylon five, and right, they work for Earth, technically right? Still. Yeah. Uh, and in case you were like, well, we're not related to that, the Night Watch makes a play this week. Oof. Oh man, the Night Watch is still the scariest part of the show to me. I think so. Yeah, because they can yeah. just—they're just move. They're making moves, dude. They're fucking quoting Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Uh, did you catch that the whole uh eternal vigilance is the price of freedom is a variation on a, on a mm, jefferson quote i didn't catch that the, it was like the because this so the main night watch people we see are zach allen obviously and like i just kept calling him cop guy in my notes he's just like yeah. another cop who says like the weirdest shit zach is like sitting in security and the guy's like hey have you seen garibaldi or the captain he's like no and he's like okay well we need to find them and then he looks at the cameras and he's like, man, you know, seeing those people and realizing they can't see us and we can like see everything they're doing kind of makes you feel like God. Anyways, bye. <laughs> and it's like, why'd you say that, dude? Excuse me. And that's like our guy. Um, and so, yeah, we're, they're clearly setting up a Zach Allen, I think, for a face turn to be like, oh, this is terrible. And now I'm going to work for because basically by the end that same guy is like it's your job or your friend pick garibaldi or us you don't get to pick both right right so i think he picks garibaldi i hope he does uh he, he must i mean that seems like that's where he's leaning but i i just think that there are going to be consequences for that decision definitely because he made the choice to join night watch right right um but he yeah he he's wrestling with that like everybody another really scary scene at the end when they declare that like yes we are now getting full control and we can arrest any dissident that we want on Babylon 5 and then mm-hmm. Zach Allen's like where do we draw the line like who isn't a suspect and he's like well obviously everyone in this room duh we all work for Nightwatch so none of us are hmm. bad uh, the other cops I mean we'll probably give them a slide but they're not above the law we are so everyone else is ripe for the arresting Sounds good, right? Hmm. Yeah, that that all right. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing that. Yeah. So with Earth and Martial Law and Babylon Five under the rule of uh fucking Nightwatch, we find ourselves in a really stinky situation after this episode. Yeah, it seems like things are just gonna be light and breezy from this point forward. Yeah, I think um 
I think we're in the point where the the season is just gonna start cranking. I hope. Mm. I mean, we'll see. At least we might get some random filler. Oh God, please, please, no more, please. I can't. I mean, people said that season four is zero filler. This is the last season with filler in it. But I like this season so far a lot. I don't want it to keep (laughs) leaning into this bad filler. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Magellan, can you do me a favor though? Yeah, I can do you a favor. Thanks. Uh, can you tell the listener what we're watching next week on Chat Salon 5? But wait! Yeah? Since this is the parts two and three of a trilogy, and I'm a pure, unspoiled uh, baby deer in the woods, yeah. I'm going to remove my headphones. Oh! Yeah. What a treat. And you're going to read the summary to the kids, and I'm not going to hear what you say right now. And when I, when I open it on oh. Amazon, I won't even look at the... And I know the Amazon summary is going to be like nothing. It's going to be like, Garibaldi does something. <laughs> But either way, I'm gonna just I'm going in completely untouched. So, all right, man. Bye. Have fun. See you soon. Thanks. Bye. All right, everybody. It's just you and me. Alan is worried about getting spoiled because people told him uh, not to read these summaries. But I don't care about spoilers because there are other ways to enjoy a show. All right. Um, so, let's see. I'm really going to milk this because Alan's away from the mic. He's away from his headphones. I can take advantage of the situation and tell you that my friend Alan is a great guy. And I really love him a lot. It means a lot to me. Okay. You ready? Here we go. Next week, we're watching the next two episodes of Babylon 5. They are Season 3, Episode 9, Point of No Return. And Season 3, Episode 10, Severed Dreams. Point of No Return. Sheridan clashes with Nightwatch when martial law is imposed on Babylon 5. A prophet reveals Londo's surprising future. That sounds really fucking good. Then we have Severed Dreams. Earth Force sends... Oh boy, yep, spoiler town. Earth Force sends destroyers to seize control of Babylon 5. But Sheridan rallies the crew to fight back. Well... I spoiled something big for myself, and I did it for all of you. I'm going to tell Alan to come back. Alan, come back. Hey, I'm back. Hey, uh, yeah, you really shouldn't read those. Really? Yeah, don't read those. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely did, because I could hear the little bit from my earbuds of you going, da, 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 da. <laughs> I don't know what you were saying, but that, I thought you were singing something. Seriously, don't don't look at nine, ten, or eleven. Okay. For even on Amazon. Even on Amazon. Okay, you yeah. got it, bro. Bry. Yeah, bro. Bry. Cool. You bry. He's bry. Yeah, I know when people messaged us, and I was like, should I tell Magellan? If I tell him, he's gonna get more tempted, and then I was right. <laughs> so. Hmm. But they do seem like really good episodes, though. I don't feel like I've lost anything. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad. Um. In that case, let's take it to the plug zone. If you would like to email us at the chat salon studios in sunny Waco, Texas, uh, you can do so by sending an email to chatspot at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at chatspot on Twitter. Uh, please also consider rating us on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice because we really want those new listeners. We've been doing great so far, and we could be doing way better. Um, I want people to hear the show. We work hard on it. Um, if you have the means, also please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash chatspod, C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D. Uh, we are putting out bi-weekly hangout, bi-weekly, con- no, bi-weekly hangout, monthly commentary. That's what it is. Heck yeah. It's good stuff. We got big content coming soon over there. Jalen, your chatsum for this week is what? So my chatsum for this week, I kind of a busy week, not a lot of time to read books or watch movies or have new experiences, but uh, I wanted to recommend a podcast that I think I've mentioned on the show before, and I'm now going through my like second listen of some of the episodes in its backlog as a thing to have on in the background. Uh, and that's Freedom, the Earwolf show. It's got Scott Ackerman, Paul Tompkins, and Lauren Lapkus on it. And it's just fun to listen to really funny people mostly be themselves, but still do bits. I don't know. They're, uh, 
a lot of the these like sit around, hang out and chat podcasts are people who are not, you know, funny or interesting or to listen to. Well, it's or their or their version of funny is like ironic, right? But the thing that's the thing that's fun about these three is that they spend so much of their time in character on other shows. Since they do that, the way to subvert that is to just be genuine. I love it. <laughs> and that, that's enjoyable. Sincerity, the cure, to the, the cure to the common ironic. Yeah. Also, I think I mentioned this last week, but I uh, am soft launching and then we'll officially yep. big time launch another podcast that I'm on called What the Fox. Check it out. It's on iTunes now for sure. So you can subscribe. Yeah, you just put out a new episode. As of this recording. Yes, we did. Yeah. Alan, uh, what's your chats on? Well, speaking of, we just got, it's just podcast week here on the chats. Uh, I want to recommend a podcast that I just got into last night. Um, it's called Empires of Eve, the History Lectures. And it's referring, Eve is, uh, Eve Online is a popular MMO RPG, I guess. It's a very, like, stats and numbers-based sci-fi MMO. Uh, with a long history and big factions working together in real life, making real-time wars and conflict happen in this video game. And this guy, Andrew Gruen, a couple years ago wrote this book called Empires of Eve, which is like a chronological textbook of uh, the those different, like all the different major factions and squadrons in EVE Online. And I think Babylon 5 fans in particular will like listening to this stuff because even though it's about a video game, it's like, these people who are playing it care a lot, lot, a lot about it and are really invested into in like playing the character that they are and being like historical figures, uh, really brutal and uh, kind of sometimes unfair to each other. And it's all laid out. Um, you can check out the book. I have been listening to the podcast because it's free. Um, it's called e- Empires of Eve, the History Lectures, and it's the like audio of the interviews that are in the book. So it's a good wow. primer on this like really, really fascinating cool. game. It's so cool, dude. Yeah. Like there it's it's just one of those communities where you're like, this is somebody's whole life. I'm never going to intersect with this ever, but they're doing a thing. And that's so cool. Um, <clears throat> but that's what we have for this week, folks. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chats on Five. Peace. Unless the cops come. Oh, God. They're knocking down the door. Woo. 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 <laughs>